0: This week's episode of So You Want to Get Sober. I'm super excited. I have my friend Casey here. She's been super important to me throughout my recovery and has taught me how to not take things so seriously, but also be really introspective at the same time. We've always had like really good times together, but um, have woven in really deep conversations throughout it. And I feel like that's something really special that you wouldn't get... um, out of other relationships. So I'm super excited. I've actually never heard Casey's story before. Um, so this will be the first time.
1: And yeah, you wanna, you wanna take it away? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I typically introduce myself with some facts. I'm Casey, um, I'm from Atlanta. Mm. So I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. I got sober in Atlanta, Georgia. I um, actually I live in San Francisco now, but I have not been out here the entire time that I've been sober. Um And just to kind of give you a a little bit of background about myself, I grew up in a very suburban lifestyle in um, like in the metro Atlanta area. And I grew up playing tennis. And that was a big part of my life growing up. Um, You know, something I don't tell people a lot about often, I used to share it with other people that were sober a lot. um, But I had this like event happen in my life that I consider dramatic. And I don't really tell it anymore because it's just looking back on it. I'm like, Oh my God, you're such a baby that you thought that this event was like so horrible for you. But I played tennis my entire life. And there was this turning point in high school where a lot of people like either realize that they're going to get a scholarship to some like D1, D2 school, or you kind of like back off of tennis and you kind of do something else with the rest of your time. Um, And so I was only getting any like even looked at by like D2 and less. And I wanted to go to Georgia Tech and they were the best team in the nation at the time. There was no possibility of me even playing for this team. So I kind of stopped doing, I was in an academy for tennis. So I pulled back off of that and I started working at a smoothie king. Um, And I was still playing high school and all of that, whatever. Um, And my whole dream in my mind was that I was going to work at the Smoothie King for a really long time, save up a lot of money. And when I got to college, I was going to join my dad's favorite sorority because he had girlfriends in the sorority, Zeta. And like my life was going to be like picturesque. And I was going to be this like Southern girl who wore pearls. And um, I was going to like be the the envisionment of my parents' daughter in college. And I was going to be an aerospace engineer and like live in Atlanta. And I had this vision for my life where I was gonna like work for a consulting firm or I was gonna work for NASA and I would wear these beautiful suits and drive this car. And um, I would live in a really nice apartment with some boyfriend and some like great car and a big dog. And I remember thinking that so vividly, like every day I showed up at this job and I worked so hard, so hard um, with this like envision of my life uh, in my head. And, and I got to college and I had already been drinking in high school, like here and there kind of normally, uh, I would get invited to parties, show up, someone had a case of beer. I would have like five or six of them get pretty drunk, you know, like the typical high school stuff. Um, and then I got to college and the very first thing that happened was that I, I w- I entered the rush program where you like rush to get into a sorority. And on the second day I got dropped by almost every single sorority. And I, dude, I was so like, I was mortified. I was crushed. Like my entire dream for what my life was going to be like, like ended instantly. It was gone. And, um, I remember just like sobbing in my bedroom and I, I, um, I kind of through therapy, I can tell now that I had a bit of like what people would describe as like separation anxiety from my parents. Um, And I like missed my family a lot and I would sob in the dorm room. And then obviously like a a couple other things like kind of became clear to me as that like first year in college elapsed where like I realized that like aerospace engineering was like far too difficult for me. And I also didn't want to work in a field where like 95% of the people that worked in it were men. Um, I felt very isolated and alone. And it's like this like detachment from my family. And then I'm a bunch around a bunch of boys who have zero social skills, and I'm effectively like rejected by all of the girls at my school. Um, and I made it onto the club tennis team and they kind of took me in. Um and as like stupid as the joke is, we used to have this joke that we were like a drinking team with a tennis problem. They, they were the first people that ever taught me how to really, really party. Um, and I was enveloped by this, like belonging in this group and we were not a serious Tennessee and we were like barely JV. They would pull some people from the club team up to varsity if they needed to, but that I was like low, low tier on that team. So like that would never happen to me. Um, and we would show up at these tournaments and and party all fucking weekend, every weekend. Um, and they became my best friends for a little bit. Um, and then, you know, the typical like progression of what I describe as my alcoholism is, um, my addiction to drugs and alcohol progressed it like furthered and a lot of my friends in college it sort of like reached a level and it plateaued and then once they kind of got it out of their system I guess and they dropped off they became normal people and I increased always increased um and and then uh you know I I uh, began isolating and like drinking became my life
0: yeah, I was just gonna ask. So what like what did that look like when it escalated? Cause I feel like for different people it looks so different um for how that escalation takes place. And like were you drinking every single day, all week, or what did it look like?
1: Well, it it wound up there eventually. It didn't start off that way. And I don't think it starts off that way for very many people. Um, it wasn't like, you know, one weekend I woke up and decided to drink at seven in the morning and it took off from there. It was A little experiments here and there throughout my life. Like, uh, I had at one point I had, um, left a contact in my eye and it scratched my eye and the, the doctor in Atlanta, they don't care about what they give you. They gave me hydrocodone, um, for the pain. I had a scratched cornea and, um, and I took it, obviously not as prescribed because the first time I took it, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, And then it's like, I had these little like realizations during these experiments where I caught on to things. Like I caught on to the idea that opiates make me feel different than alcohol does. And it's amazing. And um, it occurred to me one night when I was alone in my dorm that I didn't have to wait for a party to have a couple of beers. I could just have them. Um, And then it also occurred to me that I could drink before class I didn't have to wait until after class it's like all of a sudden I'm realizing you know in this college environment that no one's keeping checks on me at all um and it's not it wasn't so much of like a rebellious thing like I'm going against the system and I'm fighting back it was more like I don't feel good I felt awful and in my mind I was kind of taught that there's these like built-in rails or these guards like you know Uh you can have a glass of wine after you're done with work. That was taught to me by my parents. And then it occurs to me that I don't have to wait till after work to do that. I can feel better whenever I want. And I I also just don't believe that that was something that I, that I like caught onto entirely on my own, that alcohol can change the way that I feel. I think that, um, you know, I knew that when I was young, I, I watched my parents, you know, drink after work. And I knew that they were doing it to quote unwind. And I, I, I knew that that's why people use those things. Um, so I knew to use them when I didn't feel good and then it worked really well. It made me feel way better. So I turned up the volume, you know? Yeah.
0: Same, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it started out for me, like partying in high school relatively normally. And then it was like, Oh my God, I can do this all the time. And I don't have to feel how I'm feeling all the time. So that
1: totally resonates with me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, it it moves forward. It moves forward in in strange directions. It um, it essentially, you know, it was, there was like this foundation of almost like embarrassment to the way that I drank. I would be at parties or out with my friends and they would call out like, why do you always have to get so drunk? Or like, wow, Casey was like really bad. Or like, why are you on like on beer eight when we're on beer three? and um and like that shame and embarrassment is kind of what pushed me to withdraw from like the social aspect of drinking um like i wanted to hide it but i didn't want to stop doing it i didn't want people to see me do it and so i kind of caught on again like caught on to these little things that you know if i stayed in my apartment um no one would ever question me about like whether it was 4 or 12 you know um, and then all of a sudden all, it almost, it came on so slowly, but then one day, and I, you know, I don't know exactly when that was, but I remember these things happening where I would wake up and I'd be like, oh my God, I am so hungover. I am always hungover. I have not left my home in six days. All I do is wake up and go down to the grocery store and buy alcohol and come back here and drink. And I need this to stop. Like I, it's like the pain of, using and drinking like would start to outweigh the pain of like emotions and being alive. And then it would, it would it would flop like this, like, no, I need to feel better. Like, no, I need to be, I need to not be sick. I need to feel better. I need to not be sick. Um and then um I would reach these tipping points where I'd be fed up. You know, sometimes I'd be hammered and almost in a blackout when I would reach these fed up points or I would be really hungover and lucid, but you know still like under the influence whether that is like inebriation or suffering physical consequences of having been inebriated um i'd ask for help you I know mean, i'd beg for help i'd seek help out um and and i knew i always knew you know i had i had problems throughout my years of drinking but um There was always this like weird thing inside of me that knew that the common denominator was drug and alcohol use, you know, like I didn't, I wasn't always, it's so easy to look back on it and say like, you know, my problem was addiction, but in at the time, like I didn't really notice all the time that addiction was my problem. Like that actually came in sobriety with like repeated lessons, repeated conversations, repeated journaling, repeated, like, like just over and over and over getting these things down in my mind to remind myself that this is this, all of this was, um, spawned from addiction, but, back then I thought I had problems, you know, I thought I had driving problems and I thought I had friendship problems and I thought I had sex problems. And every once in a while I'd say it's alcohol. But then the closer I got to sobriety, the more I'd say, this is alcohol. This is alcohol. Like, I don't know if this will solve all of my problems, but I know that alcohol has to stop. I know that drugs have to stop. Um, and then the scary part is at the very, very end is knowing all of those things is knowing that every single one of my problems is likely as a result of drug and alcohol use, and then still using drugs and alcohol, um, being lucid about it, being aware of it and, um, and not being able to stop that's terrifying, you know, and that's, uh, that's where, you know, people start to talk about getting on their knees for the first time as an atheist and, and asking for help because, you know, this thing has gotten bigger than me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it'll take lives. I mean, I specifically remember, um, I was, I went to the hospital cause I was suicidal and then came out, like, do not recommend that experience to people. It was fucking awful. And then came out and I was just like so far down the rabbit hole. Like I knew I was an alcoholic. That wasn't my problem it was like, if you, I was too much of an alcoholic that if you took away the one thing that like held my pain together, even if it was the source of the problem, like then what, you know, I was just going to fall. Hey. And I had no Mel. So, and then, you know, it did, it brought me to my knees where I
1: was like, do you want to live or do you want to die? <laughs> like, you only have two options. Yeah, dude. And that people talk about that a lot. Other people that are sober. Um, and you know, I remember a couple of years ago, one of my friends saying to me, I was actually like a couple of years into sobriety. And, um, I was, I was, uh, you know, talking about, I'm getting close to that feeling that I used to feel at the end of my drinking where I, I wanted to die. It's a thought that a lot of us have. Um, I, and I don't know if it's so much like I don't know how much it resembles people that just like, like solely have depression and not addiction. You know, I can't, I can't speak for people that like have both, but, um, and I really honestly can't speak for people that have depression either. I can't really speak for anyone else, but, um, I want, she said to me like, sometimes I don't know if wanting to die has anything to do with wanting to die. And if it's not a cry for help that says I can't live like this anymore. And, um, and I totally relate to what you're saying about that. Like that there's a block, you know, and it's like only people that have been to the edge of this cliff understand mm-hmm. it's like, it's like you walk to the edge of a cliff and the backside of the whole cliff falls away. And it's like, all of your options are gone. It's like, you know, you can't use and drink anymore because it's destroying you. And you know, you can't continue living without it because, How, you know, like living without it drove you to it and the use of it drove you to trying to live without it and you can't go either way. So what do you do? And you, and you just drop. Mm -hmm. And that either means you drop to knees or you drop to depression or you drop to like this thought, this immediate thought as human beings, this like call of the void, like end it. Um, and it's, it's something that's terrifying to, to those of, uh, uh, like to people in the world, like our parents that haven't experienced it and they don't understand why we have thoughts like that. Um, but it's a very common and it, uh, it's something that comes up with a lot of us, you know? And, um, and I think that feeling was a huge part in, you know, seeking out other people that I knew that used to either at least claimed to live in the past, how I was living Mm -hmm. and had survived, you know, had like gotten quote sobriety or like our couple years without drugs and alcohol. And I, you know, it's either like kill myself or try and be directed this way or go this way first. And, um, that's what I did. I just went to them and I was like, how, you know, like, how are you okay? Um, and they showed me, you know, they showed me how to be okay. And I was not okay at first, I guess. This is like, uh, this is where you start getting into the realm of like, what early sobriety is like. Um, you know, it's not, it's, it's not a flipped switch. It's not like you put the, the drink down and right away you're okay. And I think that's, um, my opinion on this is that it's what drives people away from sobriety you know, almost immediately. Um, And that's what I I waffled in and out of sobriety for a couple of years. um, Because, you know, I didn't feel good right away. And I was like, this isn't, this is not okay for me.
0: Yeah. That instant gratification is just completely gone. And I just, I remember like Uber eats four times a day, mm-hmm. 20 naps, like binge watch TV, do whatever I could to like get out of my body. Cause like, all of a sudden I had to feel like I had to feel all the stuff I was suppressing. And like, you don't become an alcoholic or an addict because like things are going great. Okay. <laughs> things, are, things are tough and things are normally tough like internally. And what I've noticed, like very little has changed for me this past year. I just turned one on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, woo. Um, very little has changed externally, but it's like the internal job of like, how do you fix the past shame, the past trauma, you know, that you tried to mask with drugs and alcohol for so long. Um, and that is not quick. Like I remember sitting on uh, our friend's floor being like, when does this get better? Like, I don't feel good. I think I had my hood up like this. (laughs) It was that hoodie. (laughs) Like fuck my life. Like it's so difficult, but like, I stayed because what were my options? Like, go back. Do I want to die? No, I don't want to die anymore. Like, I guess like, hopefully these people aren't lying to me (laughs) and like, you guys weren't lying to me. Maybe you fed me too much cheese that night, but like, that's the worst that you guys did, you know, and it got better,
1: but like it took time. It takes time. Right. And that's the thing is that, you know, the only promise that I can give to anybody who wants to be sober, I cannot tell you that you will feel better within 30 days I cannot tell you that you will feel better within six months, but I can tell you that eventually as a human being, you will get a grip on how to cope with life sober. You will, you will get used to it. Um, and it will not always be painful. And most people express that same sentiment, you know, it it, at the very least will cease being painful. And for some of us that are lucky, it becomes good you know, and, and you're so right. Like I, the advice that I was given in, in the early days was just hang on for as long as you possibly can just hang on, like reach for those mile markers, reach for 30 days. So you can like tell people that you got 30 days, reach for six months so that you can tell people about that and celebrate it. And in that same time, I did the same thing, dude. I, I would go to Safeway and get those, um, red velvet cookies. And I would eat the entire tray for dinner. (laughs) Like there's, there's actually like scientific backing to why we do things like this in early sobriety, why we consume sugar and why you're told not to quit smoking is because you're like the dopamine uh, receptors in your brain are all fucking miswired. Like all this you have and part of my theory based off like books that I've read about sobriety and alcoholics and addicts is that, um, you know, either by circumstance, by use or by like how you're like kind of just made as a human being, our dopamine, our dopamine response is actually hyperactive it's too good, you know? So when we experience something that we like or instantly makes us feel good, we latch on, we build those like patterns very easily and very strongly. It's why typically like we're all good at school too. And why we like, we typically excel at things that we try and we get obsessed with things. We get obsessed with anger. We get obsessed with, like, um, something we like, we get obsessed with like being afraid of something. Like I, I legitimately have gone to therapy for hypochondria for eating disorders. Um, I've been obsessed with movie stars and video games and, um, like name it. And my problem is that like, I constantly need more. I, I can't let go. And so in early sobriety, what you're doing is you're you're rebooting the whole system and you kind of have to do this uncomfortable thing of teaching yourself new ways to operate, getting dopamine from different things, like getting satisfaction from different things. And it hurts at first, your brain is going to be screaming at you, but eventually those new pathways are built and that is your new normal. And then you move on with your life. You know, you can, you breathe that 3 months and you breathe that uh 90 days and 6 months and all of a sudden you're like oh i i am like okay enough to like start paying my bills now and like someone can help me with that how oh my god i'm in debt oh there's people around me that can that can help me get through this and like oh my god i want to go back to school tons of people do that and for me it was just like um you know, I was, I was relearning how to be a better coworker and how to build relationships with people. And I moved out to San Francisco in sobriety because it was something that I didn't know was a dream of mine. And the reason that I mentioned like my idea of life before is that my life became completely different than I thought it was going to be. You know, I did not end up that like Southern sorority girl. I ended up a tattoo. Check it out um, techie in San Francisco with a girlfriend, like living in a four bedroom house with a bunch of dudes who like taught me how to woodwork and sail. And like, we, we fix bikes up all the time. And like, I have a wonderful relationship with my family and my brother long distance and my best friend, my absolute best friend in the entire world lives in Atlanta. And almost all of our relationship has been with 3000 miles of distance between us. And, um, And, you know, all of those decisions and, and, and like directions that I went in coming out, it it had to do with this like awakening process, you know, and this is where I love to get into like the spiritual aspect of what sobriety is like is because, you know, we, when we're under the influence of an obsession or an addiction, no matter what that is, we are on autopilot and we know that. You know, like more than anyone, an addict can tell you, like, I know what it's like to be on autopilot, you know? And, um, and we have the opportunity when we're sober to be hit with all our emotions, like from every angle. And then you learn how to cope with that. And then you have the power to decide what you want to do with your fucking time. Um, and you get to decide who you want to be and what you want to be honest about. And, you know, some people like... Get, you know, follow their passions in terms of like their career. And some people like me come out. And for most people, like we all just kind of like create this like mixture of different things. And one of my favorite things about you know being sober is I've gotten to grow up here. I got sober when I was 23 and I'm about to turn 29. You know, it hasn't been that long, but I was somebody who got sober young. And um, and I got to learn. Amongst other young people and amongst sober women, and you know, old timers that are even men, and, and a lot of people who are on the same path as I am, I got to grow up and learn how to be a better person. You know, and that doesn't only include someone who like pays her bills. It also includes somebody who speaks up for herself. You know, I've been sexually assaulted, and I, I learned how to like deal with that, and also to just not let people walk on me anymore. You know, and that's been important. It's been a really, really huge part of my sobriety. Um, and and you know, a huge part of that has also been like fiercely honoring my body. And sometimes I slip up on that, you know, that's life. And that's like something that I think is like I, I like to talk about a lot too, because I think sometimes there's this misconception that you get sober and everything's perfect and you never walk backwards, you know, you never stumble, but we do, you know, I do. I, um, I have days where I wake up and I, I, you know, I'm scared. I'm scared of an earthquake hitting San Francisco or I look fat in these leggings today, or I just don't want to fucking work. Or someone like cuts me off in the grocery store. And I like actually legitimately say something to them like a psycho, you know, (laughs) but part of like, um, the opposite side of that is like I get to choose who I want to be. And part of that, like I said, is like fiercely honoring my body. That's how I like, that's how I am like uh I don't know, what do you call it, like rectifying or like um redeeming things that have mm-hmm. happened to me. Like if you're gonna take my body, I'm now gonna be sober and I'm going to honor it and love it no matter what it fucking looks like. And none of y'all get to tell me what to think about that. It is mine. Um and like honestly. You know, there's so many steps in between being hammered and high and this, you know, like in, in that state, I'm, I'm destroying, I'm aiming to hurt myself because I hate myself so much. And in this life, I'm like feeding and I'm, I'm breaking those patterns of hating myself. You know, I'm not just dieting, you know, I wasn't just dieting back then. I was destroying and like, oh my god that's, that's an awful existence you know to be annihilating oneself what a weird thing humans do it's almost like a it's almost like this like sad lemming thing <laughs> like we can't cope with our emotions so we start jumping off of these cliffs sounds like the reasonable thing to do <laughs> I mean <laughs> that's what it felt like, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I don't mean to say that like, you know, everything is good with me right now and I'm like a perfect picture of what like a sober woman looks like. I think that there's a lot of room to grow. And I think, you know, I just I basically like had the opportunity to like stand on my feet again and like hit that I like netted out at zero and then I started climbing up. And like that's kind of like um what's different about me and you know my coworkers is that in order to like, even have a chance in a race with them, I have to take, I have to stay sober and do what it takes to stay sober. And then I get to begin the race with them, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. But I mean, like we're human, you know, all the things you mentioned are human. It's not like you get sober and then all of a sudden you're an angel all the time, but like you have the tools to be like, that was a dick move should probably make amends to that person so you can get back to like your authentic self, which I think is really great. And honestly, a lot of people, sober or not, don't have those tools. It's like, what a blessing that we get to, we get to really, um, continue to work on ourselves to the best of our ability where other people don't, cause they don't know how, and they don't have the, the, the whereabouts. Um, yeah, I guess I, one of my first questions I want to ask you is, first of all, I'm just super impressed by you. Um, I hadn't heard your story and like wonder woman over here. I want to love and cherish my body and protect it at all costs. I'm getting there. But like, it's so important to me to hear, um, women at, at longer lengths of sobriety than me who have what I want. So it's like, it exists. Like I know that it exists and that I can find it in myself. Maybe it's just like, you know, you are at notch zero. I'm at like 25. You're at like 95. Like it's not a competition or a race, but like it's, it's possible to get there. Um, so thank you for giving me hope. I just, I'm, I'm blessed to know you. Um, I guess like out of your past five ish years of experience, what's like the biggest lifey life event that's happened that's kind of rocked you to your core and how did you get back up on your feet and a stay sober and, um, just keep working on yourself.
1: Mm, That's a good one. Um, I think, you know, there, there's tons of things that have happened in sobriety, but one, and, and part of the thing, that, you know, I love to look at in terms of like living, existing as a human being these days is that like things happen and you like, you gain experiences. And then, um, and then now I have these tools, you know, I, I, these things have happened to me and now I can talk about them with other women that they're happening to currently. Um, you know, a couple of like low tier ones have been like changing jobs when my old job was killing me. I was a consultant and I was running dry spread way too thin and um i had plane anxiety at one point and you know i had to i had to work through that and i can help other people with that now too if you have plane anxiety hit me up i'll like talk you through that shit um but i think the biggest the biggest hurdle in my first five years of sobriety has been relationships um i have done every possible thing that you can do wrong in a relationship um and one of the biggest ones was um a long-term relationship that I was in that ended. Uh, and it it really, it rocked me, it, it hurt. It like flung me into an eating disorder relapse. Um, I lost friends over the way that I behaved. I, um, you know, I don't typically like bring up like the toxicity of it in, in, in my social groups because um, a lot of us are mutual friends, but um, you know, a lot of it was very, very toxic. And, um, and when we were separated, I, I could not cope with living life without her. It was very, very difficult for me. And, uh, and I was being a a bit strung along, so she would like go off and like, uh, you know, find another girl to date. And then when she was bored with that would come back to me. Um, and I would just, I'd dive right into it. And, you know, I had I had a lot of self-esteem just crumble away at the end of that. And, um... And I, I am very lucky to have had uh, a close knit group of women who stuck by my side through, with me through that, and um, and and people who guided me back to self respect and self love. It was horrible, you know. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. And you know, it's not. It's not to say, you know, I hate that like concept of like diminishing our own problems because there are problems that are worse, but, um, I believe that I am an expert now, <laughs> you know, breakups, um, because I got through a couple really bad ones and, uh, and I stayed, I stayed sober. I didn't drink over it. I didn't use over them um they really sucked i spent a lot of time in my own bed you know i cried in the shower i gained weight i lost weight i went to a lot of therapy <laughs> i spent a lot of time at 3 in the morning like s- sitting by candlelight with my friends reading tarot cards but i made it you know and now i now i know you know back then I was like telling people that they're full of shit if they were saying no contact is the only thing that works, and now I know for sure because I tested every single theory that no contact is the only way to stop to just get five feet away from this person. Um, (laughs) You know, is that that what this
0: should be labeled? (laughs) This bio for the episode: (laughs) No contact is what you need if you're going through a breakup.
1: (laughs) Breakup rule number one is: Do not text. Do not call, unfollow on Instagram. Don't even do that like, little, like oh, I muted them thing. Unfollow them, you know? Let them see that they were unfollowed by you because maybe that'll put a little bit of space between you creeping on their profile. Like, you know, just do it. It took me years to do it and I did not begin to heal until I did that. And that's just one example. You know, I could go on with soapbox about like how to how to get through that, but that's rule number one for sure. <laughs>
0: Noted, noted, thanks. Um, so you mentioned that you you came out in sobriety or you you came out before you got sober or did you even know that you were
1: gay or oh yeah, that's a fun one. Um, no, I did not know I was gay. I in hindsight have been gay this whole time. Um, but no, I, I actually like within like 30 days of uh, sobriety, I was dating a, a, another woman <laughs> I didn't I didn't know then. you know denial is powerful as hell you know, you can, you can, I remember I was even talking to someone about this other, the other night. I, my, my brother asked me, did you ever have crushes on girls in high school? And I was like, Scott, I would look at other women in high school girls. And in my mind say, I am in love with you. And that thought would fly through my head as if like I said, I want Cheetos today, you know, like, n- no, I didn't know. And, uh, someday Mel's <laughs> <I was> gone. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> flying in my head like Cheetos. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Like just imagine flying Cheetos. And one of them says like, I like girls on it, (laughs) but yeah. And I was dating this girl and she like dumped me a couple months in and, uh, I went and I like was sitting on the floor. There was this house in Atlanta where all the young people would hang out at this one girl owned this house and she kind of had this open door policy and we all hung out there all the time. And I was sitting on the floor in the kitchen, looking up at one of my friends and I was like, i've been dating this girl and she dumped me and she was like oh i didn't know you were bisexual and i was like oh like yeah my sexuality is like an aspect of this it's an element in what's happening you know yeah and uh and then you know i i talked to some of my friends about it i wrote about it i talked to tons of people about it and inevitably i uh I determined that I was a lesbian, you know, somewhere to the very far right of the Kinsey scale. Um, and then, uh, a couple of years later, I came out to my parents and, um, I was sober when I did it and all this was in sobriety. And, uh, Dude, like kudos to like Gen X because, like, oh my God, I came out to them and my mom was like, I gotta think about this. And then she like thought about it for a little bit and she called me back and she was like, you know, the only thing that I was ever worried about was that if anyone says, if any of my friends say anything bad about you, I know I'm gonna lose a friend. And I was like, that is the sweetest thing. She was like, you could, you know, you, uh, she was like i love you no matter what and even when uh, that girl and i broke up she called me on the phone and she was like you know you got to don't meet girls on this like tinder thing you know i don't want you meeting girls on the tinder thing you got to go to that lesbians and tech thing that you like and it's this lesbian to tech conference that i had gone to a couple times and i was like this is crazy that you know a couple years ago my mom was like i don't know you and i'm like driving away hammered cuz i had like stolen money and like thrown up on her floor and And now my mom's like guiding me through a lesbian breakup and like loving me through it. (laughs) So beautiful how our relationships totally shift and change. Change too. It's like, wow. It's like there are things that have happened in my life that I just couldn't conceptualize, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have just a couple more questions
0: for you and then I'll let you go. Yeah. Okay. So what, what tips would you give someone who is thinking about getting sober?
1: I don't know. I mean, I I know how I was when I was thinking about getting sober. Um, I think the number one piece of advice that I would there's always tips, you know, there's always like early sobriety tips, like eat a lot of sugar and drink a lot of water and don't try to do everything at once, you know, like don't try to become a, a vegan who gives up cigarettes and like just one thing at a time. But um the one piece of advice that I would give is that if sobriety is something that you want, if you want to end your relationship with drugs and alcohol, that will always be available to you. Like you cannot use and drink so much that you will be given up on, you know? And I think that's a lot of sometimes what keeps people out and it's what kept me out. You know, I kept thinking, I keep doing this. I'm going to lose my chances. You will not lose your chances. Like, as long as you survive there will be people out there to help you and that want you to want you to get what you want you know
0: yeah that's really powerful no i mean I, I remember being thinking that there wasn't anyone like me um or anyone that would genuinely want to help someone who you know when you have all that shame and guilt like in my mind i was like i'm just too messed up like there's no one that's going to want to help me get out of this cuz i've done too many bad things but that's not true cuz at all it's been there <laughs> hey, there's lots of us <laughs> there are there are many that's why i'm making this podcast there's so many fucking alcoholics and addicts in the world known or not known so yeah well those are my only questions that i have for you today um thank you for i'm so excited to hear your story and you're just a magnificent woman you're
1: a magnificent woman i love you also yeah. i have a video of you from that night with your hoodie up if you want it i would I- love it Look, you're in the same
0: shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I gotta post that for, for everyone. Well, dude, amazing to hear your story. And um yeah, I hope to see you see you soon.